<laughs> Welcome back to Dr. Drill's Making Motivation Podcast. <clears throat> Today is the 14th of February in the year 2023. And it was a beautiful day. I mean, just absolutely pushing 60 degrees and sunny, sunshine out all day. Had a nice, steady, productive uh, day at the office. Had a woman tell me that uh, she wanted to thank me because if I didn't, you know, help her alleviate her back and leg pain, she doesn't know she could have gone on. She's been coming to me every week for several months, and I hope that she is on my schedule every week for the rest of her life, because I enjoy her company and I enjoy taking care of her. Get me, I can't have enough people like that, people that they're compliant, they're, they're um, you know, listening your recommendations and they're showing up for their appointments and they they appreciate what you're doing for them and i guess in this case i've done a lot to help so what's better than that you know what a great feeling they've helped another human being she's funny she's in her 70s got some of her struggles It's on a breathing tank. She's got like an oxygen maker that allows her to, to breathe. So she's got some sort of respiratory issue. Slows her down, but she still works. She's very active. She was an equestrian. She was in, uh, sounded like she worked helping people like as a social worker. In her work life. She's a good person. I like her. I like her a lot. So that, that was great. Um, and, it, and it was helpful because, you know, there are times I, I always enjoy what I do, you know, but um, there are times where you're just kind of like, whoa, like I see myself as, as an antenna sometimes. You might have heard me refer to my personality. I'm, I'm kind of empathic. I have to be. I think I am naturally like a nice person who cares about his fellow human being. Um, but I, you know, it's occupationally, this is what I do. You know, I take care of people and I love them. And I told her that I said, you're welcome, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. And, uh, I love you. And that's no bullshit. You know, I really care about this person. And again, I don't have to, you know, take her home with me. I don't have to, we're not family. Who knows? We might hate each other. But under these circumstances, time spent together is very productive and enjoyable. I got a lot of patients like that. They're wonderful. Um, But I was going to say, you know, Super Bowl Sunday was just last, just a few days back. And I feel like it really... Um, holy shit, the hive was buzzing, the hive mind, the collective sentiment of 
the Philadelphia area and every Eagles fan, as far as the eye could see. Um, holy shit. It was nuts. There was a frenzy of energy out there. Just a buzzing. It was palpable leading up the entire week leading up to the Super Bowl. And as people solidified their plans, whatever, decided to cook meals and do all that shit. Get together. There was just like this whole this static. It's like the power lines around a holiday. You can you can feel and hear all of that electrical activity as you walk below. And as people come in, they're like, I'm excited, yeah, go birds, go birds, go birds. E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. So the Eagles lost. All of us, I think, our feeling, our gut, our desire, our will was denied. Because on any given Sunday, one team can beat the other team. Could be skill, could be luck, chance, you know. But we lost. And so all of the, right now, there would be such a buzz as our town would be preparing to execute that parade. And now we don't get to do that. Instead, we have to watch the news uh, about the uh, Kansas City rejoicing. You know, and celebrating, you know, Patrick Mahomes as like a god. Which, in a football way, he is. They played a great game, the Chiefs. Uh, somehow, the Eagles' defense, which is a number two defense in the league, maybe NFL-wide, they're, they're dominant teams, both of them. And Mahomes is most certainly a secret weapon. Kelsey, you know, their offensive line, their defense, they, they just played a great game, and they beat us narrowly, but officially. Legitimately, they beat us. And so that's hard to take. And I'm telling you all this because, you, you know, this is you know, documented from a podcast point of view, but also just to acknowledge that, holy shit, it really rung our bell. Eagles Nation is like left with their mouths agape and just their fucking eyes wide. And Monday morning, it was, I mean, after you walked outside after the Eagles game, it was crickets. Guarantee there was nobody who watched that game. For 1% of people actually watched the, all the ceremonies that followed. As soon as that, you know, clock counted down, they're like, I'm fucking out of here. Nobody, you know, if, if I can't win, then nobody, I don't want to see anybody happy. <laughs> I don't want to see the Chiefs. You know, and, you know, saying, oh, Patrick Mahomes is the, the goat and the fucking so on and so forth. Eagles played a great game. You know, I've, I mentioned it before. I love football. My son plays it. I'm a student of it. But people know a lot more than I do. People love the game a lot more than I do. I just, I don't, I'm not like a super fan. I never understood or felt the way that other people felt. Um... When they, you know, like even my, my former father, my father-in-law, God rest his soul, my brothers-in-law, love the game. You know, they, they get so emotional watching it. Reminds me of when I was a kid 
and maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, when Tyson, Mike Tyson was coming up, and he was just freaking his heyday, man. He was knocking people out left and right, and we would rent the Tyson fight. And you'd almost, it would act, it would motivate and activate your arms. It was like you're, you know, you're, you're punching with Mike. You're moving your head with Mike. You are, you're in this fight. You felt like you were in it. Some sports will allow you to do that. Um, Super Bowl is like that too. I don't care who, who you are. If you have an opinion on the team, even if you have a favorite player, you're like, okay, well, I want that team to win then. And you're watching it. And you're just like, oh, when you see things going wrong, you're just crushed, like it's slipping away. And so this was not even, you know, this is very close, whereas some Super Bowls are not. So you got, you know, at one point we're beating the Chiefs by a couple touchdowns and narrowed that, that uh, score real quick and then beat us by a field goal, strategized. You know, we made some mistakes, they capitalized on them and, and that's how it happens. People were blaming the uh, the loss on all kinds of things, field conditions, the the, the refs, uh, holding call, um, Mahomes taking some sort of painkiller or banned substance in order to be able to hobble, you know, not hobble around on his high high ankle sprained limb. Um, cheating, all kinds of stuff. All the seats, because it was the Cardinals, um, Arizona Cardinals Stadium, so all the seats were red, and, oh, there's too much red in the audience. Can't hear the Eagles green, you know, can't see the Eagles fans, all this shit. So it's like excuse after excuse, which is what losers do. They make excuses. I fucking can't stand that. You know, everybody wants to win. Some people would rather see, you know, they love it. They, they, they're going to win one way or the other. If they need to cheat, if they need to, you know, point a finger at, at somebody to negate something, then they will. But just, just the way it is. So, so that energy has, has so far, you know, we've done well, but I, I definitely have felt like the tension, the um, the dark moods, the aggravation of of the the collective fan base that are just like, fuck, losing does not feel good. I don't feel like a loser, but I feel like everybody. You know, this is the talking point. People want to talk about this so bad, and this, the Super Bowl is newsworthy. You know, people most people watch it, but. Uh, Wow. Some people won't shut the fuck up about it. It's like, it's as if they have nothing else going on. I mean, you, you ever feel like that? Like somebody, that's what I feel about like armchair athletes. They, they love shit so much. Like it means so much to them that their team wins. I surely felt like I wanted the Eagles to win, but not to the point where I'm going to be a miserable fuck, you know? And I think it really bummed a lot of people out. It it goes to show exactly how fragile people are. Like this is your team that loses a game. Granted, narrowly, you know. Granted, it's very, it's certainly upsetting. But you know, I had a when I hugged some 
family members goodbye, I said, you know, um, somebody who's having a particularly hard time, I said, listen, you know, it sucks, but take note that 25,000 people uh, died in a collapse of buildings in an earthquake, you know, a world away in Turkey and Syria. And it's like, think about that, really. Put it in perspective. Bunch of small shit. Hold on a second, right? I'm back. So, uh, as I was saying, I appreciate the, uh, the competition, the Super Bowl, the tradition, the stakes, hard work, everything about it. But let me tell you, it, to me, it was it was like I, next time I'm going to watch it at home. Not because I wasn't in good company; I had some great family around me, our usual crew. But it was just so tense. I was tense. Everyone else, they were tense. They were miserable. And they were excited, and then they were miserable again, and ultimately, it was a very, it, it ended on a very unhappy note. And that's the way it is. That's the way the cookie crumbles. You, you win, you lose. You lose, you learn, too, right? So that's what the Eagles are saying now. They're, um, Three or four or more than that stars from the team are talking about how, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. It wasn't, you know, they didn't like the field conditions. They didn't, some of the calls were a little bit, weren't ideal, but the other team got calls that they might felt were unfair. And the rest are doing their best. Everybody's doing their best. There were no deal breakers. The, the Chiefs won. And that's it. And they took it like a fucking man. They took their medicine, you know, with some dignity and with some respect for their fellow competitors. And that's what I like. I am so fucking glad it's over, though. Just like I was glad the holidays are over. I was sitting there. I had to leave um, the bar. It was a little, um, like a basement bar that we were congregating around, watching various TVs and enjoying one another's company, eating food, having some beers and it was so loud and so emotional. I had to step away. I had to go upstairs and just sit in a comparatively quiet setting and look at the dog who would get up when people were when we were yelling and screaming. And me too. And like he, he pin his ears down, like he was like, "Holy shit, what the fuck is going on?" It was just a lot of stimulation. So I'm glad that shit's over. So that's that's it for the Super Bowl shit. But I'll tell you what, it definitely mind fucked some people this week i feel like it definitely changed things changed the mood uh otherwise beautiful week to start the the week we got sunny and temperate conditions and it just it's been beautiful out last couple days spring is clearly on the way and folks have been miserable i've had missed appointments had a guy missed his appointment yesterday guys so faithful and and predictable with him with his uh, making his appointments he 
came home, got home around 4.35, and passed out, woke up at 10 p.m. So clearly, he was um, fatigued from the game the night before, and everybody was just, like, shot, like they were they were in a haze, <laughs> you know? I'm sure there would be a similar phenomenon if we were, um, if we had one, because it was just so much, like a blast of stimulation, blast of energy, but this was, a, this is like a bad, an evil blast of, of energy. Um, so I'm looking for that forward to that waning. And just kind of like everybody finding their rhythm, finding their feet back under them so we can proceed on with life and start training again for the next football season. You know? But life is pretty damn good. Today is Valentine's Day. Never say Valentine's Day. Uh, I am not a big celebrator of Valentine's Day. I, I could be more thoughtful. My wife presented me with a big box of chocolates, truffles this morning upon waking. And I was like in a daze and I was like, thank you, honey. And I brought her some chocolates when I got home from work and we had a nice uh, dinner together. I thought that was, that was time well spent, but I'm not like here, honey, I got you this piece of jewelry or whatever. Now I can change that. I can be different, but. How much fucking chocolate do we need? I did get on the horn. I did get on the um, on social media and post, uh, tag my wife in a uh, very nicely written um, little message. Just basically said, you know, I love you. I'm thankful for you and appreciate you, the life that we've built, and you're beautiful and you're sharp as a tack and you are just a good person. And, uh, I always got to throw something in there. So I said, I could have, uh, I might've married some hag or something, some skank. <laughs> and it's true, man. I could have married some, I mean, it wouldn't have been a skank. Let me pump this gas real quick. Another little interlude here. Stand by. Okay, I'm back at it. So as I was saying, I wasn't going to marry a skank, necessarily. But we've all had troubles in love, you know what I mean? We've all, you're trying to look for the right person to spend the rest of your life with. Our marriage is not perfect. No one's is. No relationship is perfect, right? We're all flawed as human beings, but you have to have somebody that you can work with, that you can care about and be cared for, and just, it's got to be easy. You know how you have that, um, or comparatively easy, you know how, like, give her a remark, like, oh, man, that, I really like that person. I could, I, she, he or she is very easy in that um, 
it's not a challenge to be, um, to get along, to find common threads. Like you can just sit and talk with someone and it's seemingly effortless. You're on the same page. You enjoy one another's company. There are some people who just are naturally antagonistic or they push your buttons or vice versa and you just don't jive. It doesn't mean that you're bad people. It does mean that you're probably not compatible and you may never be. Now, usually you figure that out, hopefully, early on, you know. Hopefully you figure that out early on that you're compatible. Whether you're compatible. Um, and Mandy and I are. She's just a good person. And I try to be as well. So... So we have a great partnership, and we're going to work on it. We're even going to work on it. I just told her that, uh, I said, honey, I think we need to start. She said, thank you for writing a, a nice um, message for me. I said, you're welcome, honey. I love you. I think we need to, to start doing some um, some date nights, you know. But as I explained to somebody earlier today, we were talking to another friend of mine. I know her and her husband. They're just great people. Um, what'd she say? I said, you know, we like to do date nights, but, you know, Friday or Saturday comes, and it's like, we like to spend time with our kids. Like, our kids are at school all day, so we don't always get a lot of time, and they're growing quick. We don't always get a lot of time to spend with them, just the four of us, you know, which it always was. It was like us against the world. So it's nice to to be with the kids. But we also, our relationship is the most important relationship in the family, right? Because this, this is where the family began, two people. So we need to do better at spending time together and communicating and just cherishing one another, you know? So I want to do that very important. I see other people that uh, are struggling. They're really having a hard time with their relationships. And that's, it's, oh, with all the other challenges and stresses and distractions of life, I cannot imagine having to worry about, you know, having problems with my, with my marriage. So anyway, Happy Valentine's Day to everyone. And I love you all. Some people don't like Valentine's Day. Those people had a good friend say, well, you know, I, I think it's a bullshit holiday. I think that uh, if you love someone, you should tell them every day. Well, it's true. And you could do, but it's just a special little holiday that you... You know, everybody kind of has the expectation that somebody does something nice for them or tells them in particular how that they care. And so I think it's nice. But I feel like that too sometimes. I'm like, 
cards and chocolates and all those things. We should try to do nice things all the time. Need not bend our knee to all these little Hallmark holidays. Um, okay, we're, we're going to shift gears here now. <clears throat> 24 minutes in. I want to go, go over really quickly chapters 3 and 4 in my Making Motivation book, Exercise the Demon, what have you. By the way, I'm very I'm inspired. I have my friend Big Mama, who is, we're cut out of the same cloth, man. She's a fit mover and a shaker, a motivator, and I love her. And she has encouraged me for many years. As long as I've known her, she said, you need to write a book or you need to do something, you know. So she's right. Try to spread my influence, try to make the world a better place, you know. And uh, it is something I'm good at, so I need to, I want to get this message out. I want to write this book. So I saw her today and we talked about it and, you know, her career ambitions and what she's doing. And she's just <clears throat> incredible person in that she, um, she's always looking for, she's inspired, looking for inspiration, looking to do something, um, to, to work hard, to be passionate about what they do, but not to work too hard. You know? Um, so chapters three and four of the Making Motivation book. Now, let me uh, tell you right now, under my, or actually hooked on my seatbelt here, it's crossing my chest. I have a lavalier, cordless lavalier mic. What this is, is my charging port to my phone. I stick this little receiver in there. And then I take this maybe two-inch microphone with a clip and a little windscreen, so a little phone, a black foam screen. Looks like a little pecker. I can clip that on my shirt. I can hold it. I can do whatever the fuck I want with it. And I can get maximum auditory um, recording when I hook it up. It's, again, it's, it's all going through the Anchor podcast app, which is, I have like 600, I believe I have like 600 podcasts on there right now, which is nuts. That's however many trips back and forth to the office or whatever I'm doing, sometimes up to an hour by the time talking about various topics, whether it's ranging from the current events to how my day is going to type of workout I'm doing to just things that come to mind, stories. And as I tell these stories and as I talk, you know, the, how we formulate ideas is we talk, we get them off our chest. So <clears throat> I come to some conclusions. I learn things myself by, by expressing myself. So I saw this little ad for a um, this cordless microphone. Maybe this will give me a little bit of a better um, sound quality. So I'd like to look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Plus, I'm just hooking this right on the, the lap, right on the belt. Right, it's right below my. It's right on my chest. Test, test. Um, all right. So chapter three. Review quick. 
book is called Making Motivation or Exercising the Demon with Dr. Drill, Making Motivation, the story of Dr. Drill, something like that. It's my story, and I'm going to use it to teach some lessons that I've learned that I think society can benefit from. You know, character building, goal setting, and achieving, um, enjoying the ride, humor, all that shit, creativity. How I went from a little snot-nosed fuckhead, little, uh, juvenile delinquent running through the Pine Barren, stealing shit and drinking beer and getting in trouble to I became a United States Marine. I found my focus. So chapter one is home of record. That's home sweet home. That's where I, I was born and raised in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey. Chapter two, I fucked up, got freaking incarcerated as a youth. Um, how to do community service. I learned some hard lessons. I'm so I, I damaged my family name. I was sorry for what I did. Had to fall so that I could rise. So what I do? I my, my mother actually credit to her. She brought me and my buddy down the recruiting station in um, Manahawka, New Jersey, and we joined at like fourteen, fifteen. We started attending these meetings for. A delayed entry program, basically like you're on the waiting list to join the Marine Corps. You know, everybody's selling something in America. And let me tell you, um, growing up in the 80s and 90s, watching all these um, Rambo movies, Schwarzenegger, and Chuck Norris, all that shit, it, it made you want to be that type of person. It made you want to be a soldier, a warrior, a Marine, a whatever. <clears throat> made you want to serve your country. It's always an option. You talk to family members and friends and people that you've heard of and cinematic depictions like, wow, you know, this, this person was over there. Look at this experience they had. And they, they took it to the bad guys who were causing problems around the world, who were, you know, uh, they chased after Hitler, who was perpetuating, who, uh, who was, uh, you know, responsible for the apocalypse and, or not the apocalypse, the fucking, um, persecution and slaughter of, of, of um, however many million Jews, the Holocaust, right? We go after these bad guys. We fight for right and freedom and to keep our honor clean. So finding my focus was that, was having the realization, like, I need to change for the better. I'm a fucking idiot. I need something to shoot for, a goal. I need to be able to say that I did something. I rose to the occasion. Am I made of the right stuff? Boom. So we freaking signed up. Parents got us involved. It gave us focus as we developed. <clears throat> so we would show up once a month and do their trainings, shoot the shit with these guys. And it was a great experience. Found our focus. Chapter three is the training. So in chapter three, I'm talking about recruit training, Paris Island, South Carolina. If you're from, say, Michigan, Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, East, you're going to go to Paris Island. If you're west of that, you're going to uh, San Diego for boot camp. Paris Island is fucking historied. I mean, it's an incredibly uh, legendary place. It's in uh, the South Carolina, low country, 
basically right by um, Hilton Head Island, which is beautiful if you're sitting on the laying on the beach, getting sun, enjoying your you know nice vacation rental or home. But if you just just across the sound, just across a little bay, is fucking misery, skeeters, chiggers, sand fleas, red ants, and humidity and just heat that will kill your ass. Um, and you're, you know, this whole experience. So I'm talking about, so far I've written about, you know, the, the plane ride down, the bus in, the, hey, get the fuck off the bus, get on the yellow footprints. <clears throat> that was a transformation. Hey, get your head, sit in this chair, get your fucking haircut. It was the roughest haircut I ever got, fucking done in like 10 seconds. And boom, all your civilian, you know, everything was, everything civilian was stripped from you. You're given the, you're taking all your clothes, you put it in a freaking brown paper bag, and they put a number on it, and you come pick it up later. 13 weeks, you make it through. They give you your uniforms, they give you your basic um, gear that you're going to need in boot camp. <clears throat> Everything from camouflage pants to your service uniforms, a dress blues, a helmet, flak jacket, canteens, a freaking first aid kit, you know, pistol belts, all this stuff. Boots, two pairs of boots. They give you all this stuff. Laundry bags and big fucking uh, laundry pins. They give you all this shit. And then they send you out into this experience that is Marine Corps recruit training. Paris Island, South Carolina. And they're screaming in your face, spitting in your face, and pointing in your face, and making you do push-ups until you collapse on the floor. Jumping jacks, sit-ups, all these different calisthenics. Just, that's how they punish you. They can't put their hands on you, really. But they can punish you like that. They can scream at you. They can demoralize you. They can, there's a lot of things that they can do that don't involve punching you or kicking you. It's, it's a type of abuse. But, you know, majority of the drill instructors know how to keep that, you know, minimal, reasonable. And it's what you asked for. You knew you were going to get broken down and built back up. Right, so... There's three phases in recruit training, first, second, third phases. I talk about them, um, talk about, you know, the, the levels of um, accomplishment and pride that you feel when you get from, um, when you transition from phase to phase and you rise to the challenge. Uh, God forbid you get hurt or you can't do particular um Complete a certain rotation in, in recruit training, you get recycled or you go home. You know, you're all sleeping in a squad bay and a concrete, concrete floors with bunks, you know, bunk mates, foot lockers, rifles that are um, cable locked to the, um, the end of your rack. You got a, uh, a fire watch and has to go on roving patrols. You know, every Marine, every recruit gets an hour and walk around in the middle of the night with a moonbeam or a flashlight, like with an angled, <clears throat> an angled flashlight. And you got to check everyone's lock. And if something's not secure, you're fucked. And you hear that fire watch in the middle of the night on his patrol. If a drill instructor comes in, you know, they got to lock their body and say, Sir, recruit, Sergeant Smith re re uh, reporting as ordered, sir. All rifles are locked. All fucking footloggers are secure. Uh, the barracks is locked. 
such and so on and so forth. You know, you, get, you started like, no, 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 no. what do you say, you motherfucker? So that sort of shit all the time. Um, loud mornings in and out of the fucking of the restroom real quick. Shit, shower and shave in the morning. Get your gear on. If you're, if you're fucking late, if you're lollygagging, you're screwed and every the entire platoon is screwed. They'll take you out into the sand pits and they'll have you doing high knees and jumping jacks and push-ups and mountain climbers and you're fucking covered in sand and it's in your eyes and it just sucks. They're going to make you pay. They punish you, teach you, discipline you, feed you, sleep you by the numbers. Go through those three phases, different emphasis. Obviously, first phase, you just got there. So they're getting you trained up. You PT a couple times, two, three times a day. You walk and run everywhere you go. You learn basic subjects, customs, courtesies, history, and you learn basic military decorum. They're correcting you constantly, screaming in your face until you get it. Get online. Everybody gets online the same way. Shower. This is how you do it. This is how you're going to groom yourself. This is what you know. the standards for cleanliness are. You got to maintain them. So, you know, if you don't fall out of line, you're fucked. You're going to, your life is going to be made miserable. So you fall in line real quick and you learn to adapt. And it was, it was very painful, very traumatic, but it was also important. It was like a finishing school. Like, ah, this is how things are supposed to be. This is the way that you're supposed to live. This is a, a respectable way to operate. Right? So there you go. <clears throat> so then, second phase, they focus on knowledge. So you're really learning all your subjects, and not just book learning, but practical application. So you need to be able to, you know, um, these are all the weapons components. This is how, you know, how the weapon fires. This is the maximum effective range to a point target, to an area target. This is a max rate of fire. Um, this is... You know, the three types of, um, or five types of combat patrols. It's, it's all this knowledge that you're responsible for knowing. This is how you stand and respond to the national anthem versus anchors away versus the Marine Corps hymn. So um, there's, a, there's a way to do everything, and they instruct you on it, and then they test you on it. And in second phase, they do second phase testing. And if everybody passes that, you pass that, then you advance. If not, you recycle, get recycled. Third phase, you're putting the finishing touches on. They're teaching you more about being a Marine, every Marine a rifleman. Oh, in second phase, you also spend a couple weeks out in the rifle range where you learn how to be fucking incredible marksman. All the fundamentals of how to fire a weapon um, effectively. So you're standing in front of these, uh, in this field, this grassy field with these big sand mounds, earthen mounds with targets that go up and down. After you go in the back and you got to pull the targets up and you see you're looking up into the sky at the target. You see uh, the target, you know, receive a, um, a you know, here, pow. And then you look up and you see that the paper target has been torn. You pull it down, you put a um, marker in it and you run it back up. You know, obviously you got to hit the bullseye. So you mark that target so that whoever is shooting can adjust on to the target um, and improve their accuracy. There are ways that you can dial in your, your settings, your marksmanship, your, your sights in order to 
to be an effective marksman. You do that, and then uh, phase three, you're looking good. You know, you're polishing your boots, teaching you how to, you know, tighten up your uniform. You can press your uniform. You're you're marching with a with a swagger. You are telling the younger recruits that you see out there. You're, no, you're noticing them and that they are green and they are sloppy. And that was you only a month or so ago. So you're, it, it, it picks you up. It makes you want to see other people succeed. So they'll stay as you're going through the chow hall, the third phase Marines will say, stay motivated recruit. They try to give a little bit of um, encouragement to the new guys. You know what I mean? And you know, there's leadership roles or squad. There's four squad leaders and a, a platoon guide. I was a squad leader um, back in those days, so I think I was first squad leader. And so you got to know how to march. You got to know how to lead. You're responsible for other people. And if you fuck up, they're going to take you out of that role, give it to somebody else. So I kept that throughout boot camp. I did pretty well. Towards the end of boot camp, the the uh, the end is near. You do you march out to a place called BWT or bait for basic warrior training. Now they call it the crucible. Basically you go out there and you, um, you really learn more and more about being a killer, patrolling in the woods, land navigation with a map and compass, um, firing every weapon system and, <clears throat> you know, erecting a shelter half, survival at the end they do this big thing where you're running through this obstacle course and stabbing uh, dummies in the chest with uh, bayonets and leaping over um, pits you know climbing up ropes crawling underneath barbed wire while munitions are detonated next to you and dirt's flying everywhere you're all camouflaged up so now you feel like you're like wow i'm a real motivator i'm doing this this is what i I expected to do wow the adrenaline's going and you just you know automatic fire rifle fire over your head and stuff like that it's like try to recreate the whole battlefield thing and it's pretty incredible there's smoke grenades going off you see that billowing through the training area and then you hump or march with your pack back to the rear, back to your barracks in Paris Island, and you're largely done. You clean up, you get some more meals, you have a visitor's week where your um, family can show up and you can meet them and interact with them, and then you graduate. You stand on that parade deck. I think it was September for me because I showed up in in June, June 18th, like a few days after high school, I went right out. I couldn't wait. I remember being in the recruiter's office and looking on the wall of all these pictures of Marines that had had gone to boot camp and had returned and what the, what were they doing now and what unit are they with? And, man, I can't imagine. Can you imagine when we're in that position? You know, I talked to my buddies that I was going in with. So it was very special. And just awesome. And here you are standing out there walking around on the parade deck, marching. You're looking fucking awesome. You know everything that there is to know about 
the curriculum they put before you in boot camp and you're proud of having accomplished this and your drill instructors who used to scream in your face, now they come up to you and shake your hand and say, you're a good you're a good motherfucker. Keep on doing what you're supposed to do, Oberst. What's your job? You know, I'm a grunt. Oh, awesome, man. You're going to you're gonna do great. Da, 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 da. You know, like, yeah, the respect of these people. You take a picture of these people who were your torture tormentors, and now they're your mentors. Um, I'm going to add that text in my book, Tormentor to Mentor. Tormentor to mentor. I'm going to look at the the uh, etymology of those words. Um, so you graduate boot camp, you get two weeks off, you go home, you eat a ton of shit, you talk to everybody you know about the experience you had, you relax, you sleep in if you can, you know, and then you report back to your duty station. For more training, now you're going to learn about your job. So I was going to be a grunt, an infantryman, a killer, a ground pounder. I went to Camp Geiger, which is just a little, just down the road from Camp Lejeune. It's actually part of it. Camp Geiger's where all the training for, you know, boots go. Now, you're a new guy in the Marine Corps, you call it a boot. Boot is like a, you're fucking, you're still a new guy. Still haven't done shit. You know, you still have to get your training, your MOS school, military occupational specialty school. So I did that. Went to a place called MCT or Marine Combat Training. This is where every Marine goes. If you, regardless of your MOS, you could be a fucking pilot. You could be a, you know, a mechanic, whatever you want to do. You, you go to your MOS school or you, you go to the school first because every Marine's got to be a rifleman. You have to have some basic warrior skills. So MCT, Marine Combat Training. More of the killer stuff. So you do a lot of shooting, you do a lot of patrolling, do a lot of suffering. You're still getting hazed. Now you have some uh, instructors there who, you know, they... It's still kind of a suffer. It sucks. You know, because they're like, they want you to do all these hard things which you signed up for, but it's like, well, man, fucking another, another forced march or hump, another more PT. And now we're going to do close combat skills and beat the shit out of each other. It's like still like a lot of that Lord of the flies type shit. Like show me you're worthy sort of thing. Who's the dominant one. Who's the winner. <clears throat> so you live like that and you live in a squad bay and you get to know some of the guys and still some of the guys from boot camp and some other folks. And then a few months later, you graduate MCT. You go straight down. If you're a grunt, you go straight down to the School of Infantry. If you're a cook, well, there's a different base for that. So now you you make your way to get orders, so to speak, to that school. And you cook you know, to be culinary school for the Marine Corps. Let's say it's in Nebraska. Who fuck knows? I think it's in Camp Johnson which is also down there in Carolinas. You want to go in the air wing, they're going to send you to Cherry Point, which is a couple hours north of Lejeune. Um, so I went to, to the School of Infantry, and it's yet more kill them stuff. Kill them all, let God sort them out. Uncle Sam's misguided children sort of stuff. Now you're learning every weapon system, firing it, 
um, learning to fire and move, conducting live fire ranges um, all every week. And you've got your instructors are driving you hard. And same shit. There's a pecking order that's being sorted out. Um, who's going to step up sort of thing. And it's still, it's, it can be pretty friggin' painful. Because you just want to get out and do your normal job. Let's say if you went to culinary school, and it might be like, comparatively, it's going to be fucking easy. You're going to go and you're going to learn how to do some basic stuff, learn how to cook on a large scale, feed your Marines, feed them out in the field as well. And your job is going to be like a nine to five sort of thing where, right, you, every Marine, a rifleman, but you, you're fucking, you're in a goddamn kitchen the rest of your four years. It's going to suck, but it's going to suck in a different way. Let's say you join, you want to be admin. One of my buddies, he signed up to be admin. Fucking no idea why. But basically he's helping Marines complete their paperwork and keep all the files, the service record books, and make sure that their life insurance is signed off on and everything is good. Who the fuck would want to do that? Like I joined the Marine Corps to be a, a killer. Uh, you know, a hero, not a killer, a hero, somebody who would fight for right and freedom and to keep my honor clean, like the really something to do the job that, that people think of when they you say, I'm a United States Marine. No offense, but I don't think people join the Marine Corps. Hey, I want to be a cook or I want to, you know, they're not known for their culinary schools. You know, they're known for friggin' people going off. Up, you know, going on freaking missions and putting up shows of force and locating close with closing with and destroying the enemy by fire and maneuver or repelling the enemy's assault by fire and close combat. You know, that was our mission. That's what I wanted to do. We did the school of infantry. You finish that up. You're like, Oh my fucking God. Finally, can I get out to my unit? Can I, have a little bit of a normal life. And then we did, you know, the, uh, chapter, chapter four is all about <clears throat> getting out into the fleet Marine force where we, you know, are bust over to uh, main side camp Lejeune. That's like where all the units live, all their barracks complexes are. And barracks are like, they're like, um, projects like you see these brick red brick buildings you know, four or three four stories high and rectangular and it's like that's what it was a battalion area is four of those sort of things four of those barracks that create a quad so four like a square or a rectangle and there's a, a grassy area in between that's you know, of several acres, and that's where you live. You hold your formations in front of the barracks. You're assigned a room and a roommate. You learn a little bit about your unit. They check you in. They march you over to supply. They get your, your gear. They assign you a weapon at the armory. They talk to you about life in the platoon. Everybody, the leadership introduces themselves, and you start to get a sense of, like, all right, what is, what is normal life going to be like? And so I'm... Um, talking right now in chapter four about life in the fleet marine force the type of um 
what it was like if we were back in the barracks, or what we would call being back in the rear, which is where we would essentially, we would PT every day, build our bodies in Marine Corps way. Usually it'd be squad PT, maybe platoon PT sometimes where you're running in formation, maybe three miles, and you're stopping to do calisthenics. Maybe you do an obstacle course. Maybe you do some close combat. Maybe you hit the gym. If you're lucky, lift some weights. And then you come back to the, to the um, barracks. You shit, shower, and shave. You head over to the chow hall for your morning meal. Then you draw your weapons. You clean the shit out of your weapons ad nauseum. Then you do some classes on tactics and you talk about what kind of training is coming up. Maybe you're going, you know, out to 29 Palms to do a combined arms exercise where you have all these, everything, infantry, uh, tanks, helicopters, fixed wings, dropping bombs in the desert. It's like the only, one of the only places you can really do it. Everybody's doing everything. So that's why they call it a combined arms exercise, real demo, real rounds, um, simulated combat experience as close as you can get. And that's evaluated by what they call coyotes. They follow your, your unit all around and see how they function under these various conditions. And so you have to pass, you have to pass, you know, do well, perform well, pass these evaluations by the coyotes in order to deploy. You have to get a good grade. And then you would deploy. So the deployments consist of typically six-month deployments. Uh, we did a float, which is a Navy ship, you know, three or four ships for all the elements that float around together out there. And we went to the Mediterranean, floated around for six months, across the Atlantic, took a couple weeks, did some, uh, the Navy's doing their, like, formations and all their maneuvering and fueling up and doing all that shit. Helicopters coming and going. You're living in this floating fucking, you know, boat about the size of a, maybe half the size of a cruise ship, but none of the luxury. All like gray, a non-skid, like grip tape and like ladder wells and smells like it's all, everything's painted gray and smells like fish and paint and fuel and farts and gun oil. So we did that. We stopped at all these different um, ports all over the Eastern Europe. It was peacetime, but uh, we, you know, we would stop and we would train. If we stopped in Spain, we'd go out for a week and we'd train. Then we'd have a few days off and we'd fuck around, walk around, get drunk, get some souvenirs, take in the atmosphere. Okay, we're, now we're going to Morocco. Now we're going through the Straits of Gibraltar. Now we're going to Italy. Stop in Naples. Take a bus trip if you want to Rome. You know, we're going to do some training along the way. We're going to Israel. We're going to stop at Haifa, Israel. We're going to run around, do some PT when we get there through town. Then we're going to go fucking, um, you know, we're going to get a day or so off to, to roam around. When I was in Israel, I went to Bethlehem. Um, then I did three months after that float, come back, get a couple weeks off, train up again, clean your guns. Shit, shower, and shave, eat, try to live, get, you know, get some quality of life. Every once in a while, you get two or three days off, four days off. They call those 72 or 96s. 
we live for 72s and 96s. All right, these are, you know, hours off. So hey, you can only go this far. This is, look, this is the circle. Can't go any more than 500 miles. Well, fuck you. I live in New Jersey, so I'm going. And so well, my girlfriend's there. So you drive home, call that swooping through the night as fast as you can, however many Marines you can jam in the vehicle. You'd swoop to your home of record, try to live. You'd live like a king there, like a warrior, when all your friends are back on the block working at gas stations and convenience stores and shit. You're like coming home like you're Rambo. Um, come back from that, you do, we did three months in Cuba. Awesome. Guarding refugees called the Balseros. That uh, means rafters. These are people from Cuba and Haiti just wanted to get into Florida, get the fuck out of their, their ridiculous countries, communist countries that, you know, where they're, their freedoms and opportunities were comparatively less. They wanted to become Americans. So we would catch them, can't let everybody in. We'd process them, mostly peaceful people living in these green uh, 4077 MASH type tents and learn a little Spanish there, chase some uh, iguanas around, and they chased us. We PT'd. We you know, went to a beer tent or watched a movie. And cool. Three months swam a little bit beautiful waters um, come back from that did some training same thing again do a, what's called a workup in, in uh, working toward the training you got all these evaluations you need to pass you get picking on some rank up you got to do these correspondence courses called MCIs or Marine Corps Institutes might be on personal finance maybe on weapon systems land navigation all these different topics, military and civilian, just to try to make you well-rounded. Usually you get one Marine, his wife or something would do these things and give everybody the answers, and then we would send them in. <laughs> um, you need those in order, the MCIs, to complete them in order to get promoted. So then our final deployment, my time in service, we went to Okinawa for, for six months, and it was pretty neat. We got these big, we call them papples or pear apples. They're gray. They're like an Asian pear if you've never eaten one of those. Only they're the size of a softball, and they got them in such abundance that you can fucking just take as many as you want. They're really, really nourishing, really good for hangovers. A lot of water content in them, a lot of vitamins and minerals. We'd run all over the island, PT. We'd get freaking chased by these, the island snake called the habu. And they would make sake, sake, and with a coiled up habu snake in there, and sell them. They, um, you know, we trained all over Okinawa. It was a very jungle-like environment, very cool. We also went to Australia for two weeks while we were there. That was fucking unbelievable. Went to Korea. Uh, it was it was awesome. That was my last deployment on which I was meritoriously promoted to sergeant, which was like the highlight of my career, my four-year stint in the Marine Corps. I stood in front of uh, my superiors and side my peers and competed physically, mentally for this um, promotion uh, to meritorious, meritorious promotion means I earned it, so you stand before a board, it's fucking nerve-wracking, but I did it, and I won it, and I fucking, it was the most glorious day of my life.
one of the best moments I've ever had. And so that was my time in the Marine Corps. And that's about the end of chapter four. And this is the end of this podcast. <laughs>